What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. How's it going? Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna Live, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by the 90 Min Football Network. There's some cool background music. I don't know if this works. I don't even know how it's coming out. I'm trying it for the first time. Let me know in the comments if it's a pile of shit or if it's something that you're quite enjoying. Uh, joining me on the show is the brilliant Mike Stavrou. Welcome back, my good friend. How are you? Yeah, in the time that I've been gone, Harry, I've learned how to play guitar. So that, that's me underneath my desk. I hope yeah, everyone right. likes it. But yeah, it's been a while, man, hasn't it? I've been I've been busy, but I've been uh, I'm glad to be back. It's been a it's been a long, long time. We're glad to have you back, man. It's been uh, way too long since we last spoke. Uh, all things Arsenal, and um, I don't know if you're a bit of a bad luck charm because we arranged <laughs> this podcast and then Arsenal failed to take all three points from St Mary's. But it's not the yeah. end of the world. It's not the biggest deal, you know. I think the other results this weekend from a personal perspective, have certainly softened the blow for me. Uh, Arsenal, of course, uh, you know, sit top of the league with two points clear still of Manchester City. It could have been four. There's no doubt about that. But if you'd have told me this at the start of the season, I'd have absolutely bitten your arm off. So um, yeah. I'm happy. I think there are a few issues that are starting to creep in that we need to discuss, we need to get into. But I mean, what was your overall and, and sort of general assessment of not just what happened with Arsenal at the weekend, but the weekend in general and, and what it means for us. Yeah, I think a result like this was always coming. I think we had the defeat against United and they've been a, our bogey team really uh, for, for a while. And it's always seemed like no matter how bad they are, they always beat us. Um, and, you know, I think we jumped on a pod after that game as well. But that was probably the last one I did. And I said, you know, United at the time are not really playing great football. Uh, but they were just all wrong for us. Um, and since then, I think it's been it's been great. Like we've we've we really bounced back from the defeat. And then over the weekend, I think it just sort of highlighted some of the, as you say, issues that we have, um, but that we all knew that were there. And it was just going to take a result like that for 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 it not all to come together at once and for us to sort of be exposed. But if you ask me, like I. This this will sound really weird, but in a in a weird way, I'm kind of relieved that we've not won again. And that sounds strange, but in in my head, it's kind of like the the pressure of us winning every single game was getting so high that people start in to talk about us as title contenders. And like we spoke at the beginning of the season, I've never said for one minute that we'd be title contenders. So I think this now this game shows it's a bit of a reality check, and it, it shows where we are. I think and uh, how far we have to go. But over overall, like I don't think anyone can say they're they're disappointed after after that game. There's obviously things to pick out and talk about, but no, I'm not I'm not upset. So I guess what you're saying is it's kind of grounded the expectation around Arsenal. And maybe that needed to happen because people were getting carried away. And ultimately, as your standards go up, that means that the greater the fall will be when that eventually does happen. And I think we can both agree that Arsenal are not ready to win a Premier League title. The squad is not deep enough. It's not big enough. It's not um, 
good enough in a lot of areas, I would say, sort of beyond the first choice players in certain positions. And you're right. What this does is it does kind of temper that expectation a little bit, remind people, actually, we're not quite the finished article yet. There's still a lot of work to do, but there are obviously a lot of positives that we've seen so far. And, and we should, you know, not lose sight of that. One of the big talking points off the back of this game was Takahiro Tomiyasu, a player selected at left back once again by Mikel Arteta. It was a bit of an experiment in the game against Liverpool. It worked and it worked brilliantly um, in sort of nullifying the threat or minimalizing the threat that Mo Salah brought to the table. But I've been saying every week since that Tierney needs to come back in the side. The reason I say that is because as good as Tomiyasu is, and he is a fantastic footballer and a fantastic defender, he's not a left-back. Not for me, anyway. Um, I don't want to bore everybody with my kind of reasonings for this again, because I've said it a few times over the past few weeks. But in a nutshell, for the benefit of you, Mike, so that you can respond, either agree, disagree, whatever. I just think that when you have a right-footed player playing at left-back and you're trying to build up, it disrupts the rhythm and it disrupts the flow. I don't think he's comfortable when he's asked to play that inverted role, which is ultimately a midfield role in the way that Zinchenko is. And I don't think he's comfortable when he's asked to go on the overlap down the left-hand side. The whole two-footed thing, Tomiyasu, not two-footed for me. Competent enough to get away with it in certain situations, but he isn't two-footed. I think that term is banded about way too easily. Mm. So I think that we're wrong to continue playing him at left-back. I think it disrupted our rhythm at Leeds and I think it disrupted our rhythm at Southampton uh, in a lot of cases. I also don't think you get the best out of Gabby Martinelli when he's got Tommy Asu behind him as well. So where are you on this? Where do you stand on this debate? Yeah, I, th- I, I agree with you. I And I think it's not so much that he, he's not left-footed. That's really an issue. I just think he's not really the right profile of player to, to play in that sort of inside inverted role um and especially on his left foot i think he could probably do a job on on the right doing that inverted role but on the left when you know you need to take more touches on the ball um you need to be a bit more mobile you need to be like slightly more technically proficient um and also help in the build-up play i just really don't think that's his game um and you know that's even more exposed i think when he's playing on on the left hand side on his weaker left foot I think where people are getting the left-footed thing from, I think Arteta spoke up his left foot a while ago and all of a sudden people are like, oh, well, you know, he's, he's two-footed. He's not. Um, and I think sometimes you can get away with being right-footed on the left-hand side. And Like, look at Jao Cancelo. He can play on either side. You wouldn't necessarily say that he's, he's outstanding. He's amazing. Though, Jao Cancelo is an outstanding. He is, fullback. but you wouldn't say he's two-footed. I think you'd say he's got a good left foot. But the difference with Cancelo is that you're right, he's outstanding, but he's so technically gifted it doesn't really matter which side he, he plays on. He just adds to the team in whatever role he plays. Tomiyasu is not versatile enough, I think, to, to do that. Um, and yeah, the, the issue with him being right-footed is that all his actions are looking to come inside the pitch. Uh, and you're not going to get, you know, using Tierney as, a, as an example, you're not going to get him going on the outside. You're not going to get him overlapping Martinelli. And maybe that's not what Arteta wants. But again, I don't feel that's doing the role. Um, that that he's meant to be doing as an inverted left back, and I think the the clear reasoning that Arteta doesn't think that he can do it either, and maybe he's caught in onto that, is that he's moved over to right back, and not only that, but I think um, against Southampton, Xhaka had to drop in to to that sort of position that the inverted fullback's meant to operate because it just wasn't working. 
the the build up play wasn't there. Um, Jesus was, was was dropping too deep, um, which meant that Xhaka had to you know drop deeper, which which meant we didn't have that threat in the box anymore because he obviously scored from from a, a third man run in the box and he had multiple chances in the first half. So not only did we lose out in terms of uh, that that left back, it meant sacrificing another player to sort of operate in that role. So I think. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that it's time for the experiment to end. Um, but it's, it's whether he thinks Tierney is, is good enough to do that, really, because we saw Tierney, again, come on and do a completely different role. We didn't do that inverted left-back role. But um, what's, what's the sort of latest on Zinchenko? Because ideally, we'd, we'd have him to do that, wouldn't we? Yeah, it's interesting because we were told that he was potentially in contention to make a return this weekend. And again, there was no sign of him. He didn't, he didn't turn Strange. up. He wasn't... Not that, not that he didn't turn up in the literal sense, but he wasn't obviously part of the squad on the day. Um, I don't really know what to make of that. But when you think about it, and and this is sort of me sort of really maybe overanalyzing the situation, but I think this is the big talking point, And I think it's something we really need to kind of dive into. Essentially, what Mikel Arteta is saying, the message he is putting across is that right now, Kieran Tierney is the third choice left back. Because when Zinchenko's fit, he plays. And now Tierney and Tomiyasu are fit. And Tomiyasu is being preferred in the games that you would, let's say, prioritise. So the question that Richie asks in the chat is, do you think there's something going on in the background with Arteta and Tierney? Do you think that something's happened? Do you think there's a part of Kieran Tierney's game that Mikel Arteta's not satisfied with? Do you think that maybe he doesn't totally trust him from a fitness point of view because of how he's been burnt in the past by maybe over-relying on him? Mm. Could there be something more to this, in your opinion? I think the fact that he signs Inchenko is already a sign that he's looking for something different from his left-back. Um, and I think Tierney, it was always going to be a case of him playing in the Europa League and off offering something different. Um but obviously, he's he's trying to teach Tierney something that he's not used to doing. He's trying to teach him how to be an inverted fullback. And for, for my money, when I've seen him in that position, he just doesn't look comfortable because he's so one-footed. That, that position very much needs a player who's technically proficient and can use both feet. And for me, Tierney's not fulfilling that at the moment. So as you say, the fact that Tomiyasu is playing and he's been preferred over a left-footer, clearly Tierney is third choice. So... I wouldn't be surprised if there's sort of conversations going on behind the scenes, um, you know, because Tierney, he's not going to be happy playing a backup role. Like, I just don't think that's the sort of character that, that he is. Obviously, he's a he's a starter for, for Scotland. And when we signed him, he was meant to be, you know, our new Ashley Cole, wasn't he? He's was meant to be our, our new left back that we've been crying out for for a long time. And, you know, because of injuries and because of, you know, lapses in form, that hasn't quite happened. So him, you know... A, a, because isn't it strange as well? And it's another point to make that we thought Zinchenko was coming in to play the Xhaka role. I, 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 I don't know if you thought that, but I definitely thought that. And it was like, okay, he's going to play mostly as a midfielder. And then Tierney is going to sort of stick it stick it at left back. And actually, that's not the case at all. So clearly, he, he has been signed as a Tierney replacement. Well, yeah, I, I wasn't sure what the future held for Nuno Tavares at the time. Um, but I looked at the squad and I thought, we've got Tierney, we've got Tavares two left backs more of a priority was probably in the midfield and I figured that one of the reasons they lent towards Zinchenko so much was a because he had been vocal about wanting to play in midfield and therefore 
that would be a kind of hook to get him to the club. You know, you're a great player. You're playing at a great team. I'm a coach you already know, that you already love, that you've already worked with. I'm at another big club and I'm offering you the opportunity to come over here and play the role that you've wanted to play for years. But his capability to play at left back as well and be covering that area was something that made it more justified, I guess, from an Arsenal perspective that they were going to go and pay quite a bit of money to bring him in. So I'm like you. I thought he was being brought in to play across those two positions. But he's only played at left back so far. Yeah. And and as we've said, when he's been fit and available, he's always been the go-to left back. So, yeah, it's it's strange, isn't it, that Tierney's kind of fallen from grace. And it's almost like we bemoan the fact that Tierney's always injured. And now that he's not injured, we're not utilising him in the way that we maybe should. And so you sit there and you wonder, has something gone on? Is there something deeper to this that we don't know? And I don't want to cause speculation, you know, without really knowing the facts. I don't want to pour fuel on the fire, but I think this is a worthwhile discussion. Another kind of thing that sort of has been going through my mind, and and this is how I saw it initially, but the more the time goes by and the more I look at this and the more I analyze this, the more I think actually maybe I was wrong, is... I thought that the rotation strategy that Mikel Arteta has applied this season, right, from, you know, hope of not burning people out and sort of giving people, you know, a set amount of minutes and and trying to share that around. Um, Yeah, I, I just look at it and I think, did the rotational kind of cycle just fall in a way whereby Kieran Tierney wasn't starting the Premier League games? Because, like, he didn't start at the weekend. So he's probably going to start against PSV on Thursday. But then having started against PSV on Thursday, do Arsenal trust in his fitness to then put him in the starting lineup again on Sunday? If Tierney's going to get yeah. back in the side, in the, the number one side, the Premier League side, that cycle has to be broken at some point. Could it just be that he's stuck in the cycle? I mean, I just can't see it happening, Harry, just because of how our game has evolved and Someone in the comments was saying, oh, well, we look so much better when Tierney came on. But as I said earlier, Tierney being put in that advanced role, it you know it did help us because Martinelli, I think, wasn't on at that stage when he came on. So our left winger was in Ketia, I think it was. And he's, you know, he's not a winger. He's, he's you know, at best an inside forward. So he's not going to do the job that, that Martinelli does. So Tierney's sole purpose when he came on was to the bomb up and down that left-hand side but that meant that Xhaka had to drop deeper and cover at left back and that is the role that Xhaka has to do when Tierney's in the team because Tierney for whatever reason I, I just think he's not he's not proficient in that inverted left-back role and Arteta doesn't clearly doesn't trust him there I don't think so I think he actually although he does you know add to our attack in a way I think he also really you know limits us defensively because of what Xhaka has to do to, to cover for him so for me it's all it's, it's all a tactical thing and I don't like Tierney would have to really develop and adapt his game to to become a starter over Zinchenko now maybe Zinchenko is going to be a player that has a lot of injury problems and then you know we say to Tierney well we look he's not going to play as, as many games as we thought he would um, so you need to really step up now and do what do what we need but I just don't think we can change the sort of tactical style that's you know done so well for us yeah I think there were signs though that Tierney was starting to get to grips with the inverted role there were just signs in a couple of games where he um you know just kind of started to move into that position a little bit more often and was doing it better and better 
But I guess if you're a manager, if you're Mikel Arteta and you do make that change, because let's be honest, our left back last season was not playing an inverted role. You saw it from the right back at times. Um, you know, you saw it from Tommy Asu tucking in, becoming at times part of a back three and then us pushing the left back on uh, in order to kind of get more numbers into the midfield and, and further up the pitch. But now we seem to do it on both sides. And that is a tactical shift and a tactical change that perhaps Kieran Tierney's just kind of fallen victim of in that he's fallen through the cracks a little bit, um, which is unfortunate because he's a really talented player. But just one more kind of question on, on this whole fallback debate. I would go as far as saying now that actually I prefer Ben White at right back to Tommy Asu. Now, Ben White essentially started in that position this season, A, because William Saliba had come back and performed really, really well and, and Mikel Arteta was really impressed and didn't want to take him out the side, but B, because Tommy Asu was, was unavailable at the start of the season. And I've got to be honest, when I watch Ben White now, I see a more complete fullback. I see someone who can tuck in. I see someone who can support the centre-backs in the way that Tommy Asu was so effective in doing last season. But I also see someone who can go on the outside and help create goals and create opportunities. I'm not sure Tommy Asu has the whole package in the way that Ben White does, based on White's development over the last six weeks or so. Is that fair? Am I jumping to conclusions? People will say in the chat, I'm being really harsh on Tommy Asu. I'm not. I still think. He is a fantastic player and a fantastic defender. But I reiterate what I said before. He's a right back or a centre back. He's not a left back. Ben yeah. White, what's your thoughts? White or Tommy Asu? I think different tools for different jobs, Harry, to be honest. Like just how Tommy Asu played at left back and he did a job on Salah. I think he can do that at right back as well. And when you need someone who, you know, is coming up against one of the top players in the league, like when we play against, against Man City... Um, and we need someone to really just do a job defensively. I think Tommy Asu probably should get get the nod over over Ben White because he just offers that stability. He's a better one on one defender. And to be fair, I, I agree with you that that Ben White has done brilliantly. And I, I think going forward, he's definitely better than than Tommy Asu. The the ball that he played for for Xhaka against Southampton was great, and I, I didn't really think he had loads of that in his locker. But he's he's proven that he has. But on on the flip side defensively he doesn't know that position as well as Tommy Asu does and against Leeds I think he got massively exposed um, and also he's playing next to someone who although he's been classed this season he's not you know he's going to get caught out at times because he, he's young he's inexperienced he's not fully you know acclimatized to, to the Premier League he's played really well the first 10 games of the season but he's going to need someone sometimes just to tuck in a bit tighter to him and be that you know really strong strong defender and I think Tommy Asu is a bit better so I, if, if you're asking me, like 90% of the games, I would probably play White because I think on the ball, he's 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 better. And I wouldn't say there's an absolutely massive difference between them defensively. I think Tommy Asu is, is a bit better one-on-one and maybe slightly tactically, um, he's he, he sort of knows that position better, but there's not a lot in it, really. It's, 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 it's fine margins, isn't it? Yeah, I'm not saying there's a, there's a million miles between the two. I think you're right that they can... Uh, be compared quite closely. I think some people in the chat making the point about um, Tommy Asu's heading ability. And I think this is a valid point. Uh, Tommy's heading ability is second to none in our team. Great point when teams have that threat. That's from uh, Jean-René. Um, Sko says on that debate, White is effing fantastic. Not super enthusiastic for post-match interviews, but so damn good. 
on the pitch. Um, Clock N Seb makes a great point. He says, how good is it to have the luxury of competition? I remember the dark days of Licksteiner and Mustafi trying to play out of their own six-yard box. Well, it was the dark days of Cedric not so long ago. People absolutely despise Cedric and we don't have to play him anymore. So, Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. But I do think there's a lot to be said for Tommy Asu's aerial ability. I do think that that is something that Mikel Arteta values a lot when teams sort of try to drop balls over our fullbacks. And you can't do that to any of our fullbacks at the moment because you've essentially got two centre-backs playing there. So you gain something there, but I think you lose something in another way, in an attacking way, in terms of the flow of your game. If Tommy Asu was left-footed, I'd have zero issue with him playing at left-back. Genuinely, I think that bit is really important because I watched him really closely yesterday. There's someone in the chat, I, I can't remember who it was, who said that I'm the only one that doesn't think he's two-footed. That's absolutely not true. Um, but I watched him closely because we'd had this debate on this show a million and one times. And every time he got the ball yesterday, watch the game back. I've watched it in full. Every time he got the ball yesterday, he took an extra touch. Why? Because he wants it on his right foot. Because he doesn't feel like he can confidently break the lines often enough yeah. and progress the ball often enough on his weaker foot. And it, it doesn't seem like much, but that really does slow down the attack. And 100%. Stop, so. That split yeah. second gets allows people to get back behind the ball and in shape. Yeah, it does. And, and, and also, I think that looking at... I'm going to compare him to Zinchenko because I think he's the, he's the number one. But look how how much deeper Tomiyasu stays. Zinchenko like helps not, not only on the ball in our half, but in like he basically camps himself when we've got the ball on the edge of the box. And he's playing little, you know like one of um one twos with Xhaka and he's playing little one twos with Jesus and Martinelli. And you know, he's he's a creative force. Um and he's dangerous. But when you Tomiyasu just doesn't get that high up because he's not that comfortable there. So it's another thing that, that you lose when he's playing. The, the one the one thing I would say about Tierney is that he is he's got more tactical intelligence in, in an attacking sense and he, he knows the areas to be not necessarily as an inverted fullback, but as you know, as, as a dangerous, as a traditional attack. fullback, yeah, yeah. As, as a traditional fullback. Um, but yeah, I think he's done the job for now. Uh, but when when we do play teams that that we're going to have more possession, like we did Southampton, I think you need a bit more security on the ball. So yeah, I mean, look, I've and I'm like really happy with Tommy Asu because the fact that he you know came in from the cold to play against Salah, the best wing in the league. I know he's not the He's not in the best form of his life, but the fact he literally, you know, completely took him out of the game and won every aerial draw and was just impossible to get past that. You know, that's such a huge thing to have in the squad, but that doesn't mean that he needs to play every game. And it's great. As someone mentioned in the chat, it's great to have that competition. It's great to have those different options so that if you're coming up against a particular player, you, you swap, you swap one in and out. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Marcus makes a great point as well. He says that Tommy Asu was very good at linking up with Saka last season, but he's looked lost on the left and doesn't complement the attacking prowess of Martinelli. They're two really different players, aren't they? Um, yeah. Saka and Martinelli. Saka quite likes to receive the ball to feet in a wide area and, and sort of either lay it off and then make a run in behind or, or carry it in field as we see him do so often. Whereas Martinelli's a bit more on the shoulder of the defender and he's quite happy for you to drop a ball in behind for him to chase. And I just think he's a little bit more direct. And so maybe he wants the ball that split second earlier played in behind him. And when he has to drop deep, it's not really what he wants, Gabby Martinelli. And, and so, yeah, combinations on a football pitch are key. 
um, you know, really important. That's a great point, Marcus. Thank you uh, for that one. Moving on from the whole kind of fallback debate, standard of refereeing yesterday, Mike, it was absolutely shocking. And the more I watch it back, the more unbelievable I find it that the referee, Rob Jones, had an absolute nightmare, was was able to let certain incidents slide. I mean, there was the Lianco elbows into Jesus's back. There was Lianco squaring up to Enketia. There was certainly one Stonewall penalty for Arsenal, if not two, really. Um, you know, Gabriel Jesus was being wrestled down to the ground at every given opportunity. I thought his display, the referees, was shocking. And this is a big problem in the Premier League, right? Because it's all we talk about every single weekend. I mean, how that centre back is it? Saleta saw. I think yeah. he's. I, I, how he he didn't get booked, did he? I mean, I don't think he did. No, that is incredible. He literally, he you know he after football he better have a career in the WWE because he was grappling Saka. Sorry, not Saka. Jesus, like it was nobody's business, and like we we could have had a few penalties, but not even that. Like outside of the box. And what happened was he was doing it so many times and getting away with it that he felt confidence that, you know what, if I put two hands on Jesus and drag him down, the referee's just not going to give anything. So we kept doing it and doing it and doing it and kept getting away with it. And that is just so bad. I think the referee lost control of the game because when, when a player thinks I can foul this guy and get away with it, and even if I do it three or four times, I still won't get a yellow card. When, when you have that as a, as a player, you know, it's just... That's not how you referee football matches. I just could not believe that 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 guy did not get booked, let alone give away a penalty. Because I think there was a few in there that definitely could have been given. There was one as well. I, I can't remember what challenge it was. Maybe it was Ben White, but Sky didn't even show a replay of it. I saw Lee Judges talking about it. I, I, I can't remember exactly what incident it was, but it was one that I looked at and I thought, wait, I, I need to see that again. But it didn't. I didn't see it again. Um, there was there, there's so many Harry's to talk about. Um, Lianco as well. I mean, it reminds me of me when when I'm playing five aside. You know, I'm not the best sort of player. So what I'm doing, I'm just really aggressive. Um, <laughs> and the, the fact that he got away with literally elbowing, pushing, you know, doing all that reacting angle. Did, didn't he grab um, someone by the neck as well? And sort yeah, of like Ketia, yeah, Ketia, yeah. Ketia. I mean, he's getting away with what? Mate, it, it was it was honestly shocking. It was it was one of the worst I've seen. And I think we're we're at the stage now where as as a team those sort of decisions are not really costing us games anymore like they did last season because, you know, we, no, plainly we can say we should have taken our chances. We created enough chances to win the game. But last season, those sort of decisions were, were the difference between us winning and losing. Um, yeah. So we can't have too much of a go at it, but you can still call it out when it's bad. And it was bad yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not suggesting that we didn't win the game because of those decisions. Maybe we'd have, one, it had we got a penalty, for example. Um, I, I certainly think we did enough. And I always say this, like, yeah, in the heat of the moment and sort of directly after the incident, you are going to be really frustrated by decisions like that. But I always think you've got to look first and foremost at what you could do better to win the game. And there's no question about it. Arsenal, had they taken their chances, would have won the match and should have won the match. And that's where I'm looking at now. And that kind of takes me on nicely to the next point, which is Gabriel Jesus' finishing uh, ability has come into question 
uh, off the back of that game. I don't think that this is a big issue. I don't think this is something that we should dwell on for too long. I don't want to dig out a player who 96, 97% of the time since he's come to the club has been a breath of fresh air, incredibly efficient, not just efficient though, but effective in transforming our entire attack. But he is being criticised today off the back of missing a couple of chances. What did you make of his performance and what have you made of his overall impact since coming from City? Because he's a player that you were a big advocate of us signing long before there were any links in the papers. I think he's a bit of a victim of his own success, if, if that makes sense. I think it was such a huge move for him to, to you know, join Arteta and, you know, Arteta obviously said to him, you are going to be the main guy. No more sitting on the bench at City. No more playing on the right wing. You're coming here. You're going to be the main guy, the number one guy, and you're going to play up front every game. And he obviously took that and absolutely relished it in his in his first sort of five, six games. And you could see he was a player that was on top of the world. And every he had the Midas touch. Everything he touched turned to gold, literally. The fact that he was plucking the air, plucking the ball out of the air with, with his chest and spinning Johnny Evans and like think things like that that you you know you don't do unless you're in you know the absolute top form, the most confidence you can be. And you know, he had a few games where he was a bit quiet. And I almost think that because he's done so well, our expectations are so high. Whereas if you looked at City, he had a good goal record, but it wasn't fantastic, even though he wasn't starting as, as many games as he is now. And I think almost we have to give him a bit of a, you know, a bit of time just to sort of just to gather himself and just for him to understand, look, you don't need to score in every game for you still to be effective. The part where I, I, I'm not going to say I worry because I'm not worried about him. I think he's a class player and I think, you know, he will have good games and bad games. But I think with, with Jesus, the, the number one thing is not really the the goal scoring. I think he's he will score goals for us and he will score about 15 15 goals, 16 goals. I think the most important for, thing for him is the energy and the and, and the link-up play. I think that's the reason we, we signed him. He's a pressing forward. And I've just not seen that in, in recent games. I, I, it's just not quite been there. And obviously, I think it's a fatigue thing because he he completely missed out on the score for the Bodo Glimp game, I think it was, uh, in, in the Europa League. So that told me this guy needs a rest because he's not even made the bench. He's not He's not made the trip. Um, and then, you know, he comes into the next game, he plays in the Europa League, he plays in the Leeds, and then he played uh, on Southampton. And I think in those in those games, okay, against, and I didn't watch the PSV game, but I saw the highlights and he was good, wasn't he? Like, he was very, very active. But for me... Yeah, he was very active and energetic, yeah, for yeah. sure. But yeah, you, you, you've got a great point. Because as you say, he was on the verge of breakdown. He needed a rest. He had a problem after the Liverpool game. And... You know, he had to come into the team against PSV in a Europa League game, which is not really what you want because I don't think Mikel Arteta trusted the likes of Nelson or Marquinhos to play from the start. I don't think he felt that he could get away with just one of our regular forwards as he has done in against Bodo Glimt in Zurich, for example. And then what that did was add another load onto Gabriel Jesus. And I think what you're seeing now is the effect of that. You've got to remember as well, he was in a squad at Manchester City that had the ability to rotate and had the ability to give him breathers. He didn't start every game that was well publicised, well documented. And so the physical demand on him was obviously a lot less. Pep Guardiola's side, I don't think, press as aggressively as Mikel Arteta mm. wants Arsenal to press. So it's it's a different style. It's a different type of game. 
and he's having to play every single week. And we're seeing the effects of that. But, you know, would this be a problem in any other season? Remember, the World Cup is coming up in, I think, four weeks yesterday. So everything's been condensed. If we had the odd week off and didn't have Europa League games every single week, maybe this wouldn't be so much of an issue at this point in the season. What do you think about that? Yeah, no, I, I agree. And to be honest, that feeds into a, a thought I had about the Europa League. I think I think now is, is the time when we're seeing our, our team fatigued. And, you know, that display in the second half against Southampton just to me proved that we don't have the squad capable of, you know, playing, you know, five, six first team players two games a week. It, it's just, it's not, we, we can't cope with it essentially. Um, and I, I really think that the subs that, that came on actually worsened us. I think when Vieira came on, he was quite poor and Ketia didn't really have much of an impact. Um, and I think these players need to be playing and starting in their right positions it on Thursday to make sure that they're sharp as possible when they come on, on the weekend. Um, and for me, I just want all of our top players to be completely rested now for the rest of the Europa League group stage campaign. I think we can secure uh, first... You know, if we get a draw against PSV or or a win, I think I think we get it. I think we can do that with with our second string. So I think just give, you know, the top players who who we need to be in best nick to to win the Premier League games. Just take them out, uh, let them rest up, and then we go again in in the Europa League in, in the knockout stages. But obviously that won't be till after the World Cup. Um, so yeah, it, it, it is a bit concerning. But Harry, like it, it takes us back to this point that we know that this squad is not good enough to, to compete on, on all fronts. You just look at the, you, you look at the... Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Backups, and you look at Eddie Nketiah, and yes, he's done very well. I think he's developed his game a lot, but he's not hes not anywhere near Jesus' levels. So when he comes in, he doesn't look—he he can't do half the things that Jesus can do, and he just doesn't look up, up to that level that, to fulfill that role. Vieira as well, I think he's been great in flashes, but again, when Odegaard came off and he tried to play that role, I just don't think it was quite there. So... It's, it's telling us things that we already know. But for yeah. me, if it, if it was me, I would just rest them now. Odegaard, Jesus, Saliba, Gabriel are players that don't need to play in the Europa League for me. We're going to take a very, very brief pause and then we're going to discuss some breaking news that has just come to our attention whilst we are live on the podcast. We'll be back in just a sec. Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. And there is some breaking news that we need to discuss whilst we are live recording. And that is with regards to our former boss, Unai Emery, who's just been unveiled as the new Aston Villa boss. 
Look, I wasn't a big fan of Unai Emery during his time at Arsenal. I don't think he was the right Understatement. man for the club. Yeah, <laughs> Look, I, he wasn't the right man for the club. That wasn't just down to him. The structure around him was shit. Um, you know, all of it was a mess. And he made that mess worse, in my personal opinion. But he's gone back to Spain. He's done brilliantly. He's taken Villarreal um, to the late stages of the Champions League. He's done a cracking job there. Won the Europa League again as well uh, since going there. And here he is now back in the Premier League at Aston Villa, who have a decent squad of players, in my opinion. Um, you know, listen, I said at the time that he wasn't the right guy and I, you know, I was very critical of his style, etc. But let's put some of the bullshit to one side that sort of surrounded Emery, the good evening stuff. All of that was nonsense, right? His yeah. English, I thought, was a bit of a problem, but not a problem that you couldn't get past with a bit of love and a bit of work and a bit of respect. And unfortunately, sort of a lot of people didn't want to give him that chance and, and were critical of that side when I thought actually the criticism should have been about his football management and not the fact that he couldn't speak great English. I mean, I can't speak Spanish. So who am I to kind of sit there and, and say anything like that? But he's here. He's back. Um, what do you make mm. of that sort of raw reaction uh, from you? Because he's the new Aston Villa boss. I'm a bit like, so I don't follow La Liga, but I know that he got them to the semi-finals of the Champions League. Um, so I'm a bit miffed as to why he's come back to the Premier League again. Because he has done well. Like, to, to be fair, after after Arsenal and how badly it went and the, the circumstances and, you know, his, his reputation really was, was a bit on the floor. Um, and then he got the Villarreal job. He sort of rebuilt his, his reputation and now he's sort of opening himself up to a lot of risk, I think, by taking over a, a Villa team that, um, you know, they're, they're a good side, but I think there's there's structural problems there at Villa that um, that led to Steven Gerrard being sacked. It wasn't just Gerrard, I think. Um, so, yeah, it's a bit strange for me, Ari. I'm, I'm, I'm firstly like, why is he leaving Villarreal? He's like leaving the comfort, but, you know, fair play to him. Fair play. He's back. and um, He's back, yeah. You know, I think what happened sort of with him in the Premier League will probably be a big motivation for him. You know, I think it will probably mm. um, be something that he uses as fuel to kind of drive himself um, towards kind of achieving the maximum that he can. I think that the pay must be much better at Aston Villa. He's going to have money to spend at Aston Villa because they've shown in recent seasons that they are willing to to back and support their managers financially. Um, and yeah, it's going to be really, really interesting to see how he gets on. Look, listen, as I said, wasn't the right man for us. There's no question about that in my mind. Um, who was it? Someone in the chat. Uh, Mikey says, I thought you were harsh at the time, Harry. Can't lie. A lot of people say that to me, but ultimately, I think I was proved right that he wasn't the right fit for Arsenal because things deteriorated quite quickly after that Europa yeah. League final defeat. Um, again, not all his fault but he certainly wasn't going to be the one to drag us out of the danger. And he certainly wasn't going to be the one to change the culture in the way that Mikel Arteta has. So I think I was proved right in saying he wasn't the right man, but genuinely, genuinely, Mike, from the bottom of my heart, I wish him all the best in this job. I really do. Cause I don't dislike the guy. Just didn't think it was the right fit. Um, you know, let's see, let's see what he can do. I, I don't really yeah. know what to make of this. I think that, as I've said, I think Villa do have a squad that is capable of achieving a lot more than what we're currently seeing. But I also think 
it's a job. It's one of those jobs that you can't really win in because a club like Aston Villa is a massive football club and has massive support. And so people expect the world. But the reality is that I think the last time they finished in the top 10 in the Premier League was something like 2011. Mm. So they haven't been, um, you know, they haven't been anywhere near it. So it's still a big task and it's still a tall order. And um, yeah. yeah, we'll see. I'm I mean, not the looking last forward two to coming up against him either, are you? Yeah, no, no, I'm not. I'm not at all. I think he, the, the, the one thing you can say about him is that, is that he, you know, tends to have the backing of, of his players and they they tend to believe in him. You know, before I'm, that didn't necessarily happen at Arsenal in, in the sort of second half of his of his uh, career here. But I think, you know, he he wants to have a, a particular team that, that do specific roles. Um, and at Arsenal, I think the job was a bit too big for him, to be honest. I think there was a certain style of play that you expect with Arsenal managers and he didn't adhere to that. And he did weird things like putting Lucas Torreira at number 10. Remember um, that? God. And that was just never going to win over the fans, was it? That sort of style of play. Um, so he almost suits a club like Villa are at the moment because I think he can get away with, you know, playing a bit more of a boring brand of football with, with a club like Villa, like with a club like Villarreal, where the, the expectations are high, but it's not, they don't expect it to like, you know, get Europe really. They expect it to like maybe finish mid-table and then maybe push for Europe in like your second or third season. Um, but yeah, he's got a huge task on his hands. But again, you would look at that Villa squad and say, on paper, they're pretty good. Like, look look at the other day. Was it 4-0 they won after Gerald was sacked? And looking at other teams this season, how they've sort of reacted when managers have been sacked. It's not been as good. Like, look at Wolves. They've been terrible since Bruno Lodge been sacked. So that, that just tells you that Villa do have a, have a good team. Like Danny Ings is a good player. Ollie Watkins, I like Leon Bailey, uh, Jacob Ramsey, John McGinn. Like there are really good players. I think in defence, they they need a, a bit of work, especially at centre-back. But yeah. overall, on paper, you'd say they're a pretty decent team. I mean, Arsenal wanted their backup defensive mid, Douglas Luiz. So, you know, there's there's a decent sort of base for him to work with. It's just it's just whether they, they really back him. I think this this is the number one problem, problem now with... Um, with these sort of middle middle of the table, middle of the, you know, teams, there's like, what do you really expect them to do? And when it all goes wrong, they sack their manager, but you know, it's not, they're not really huge teams. So he's going to have a tough job, but I'm excited to see what, what he, I'm excited to see what he says about Arsenal as well, because I think at Villarreal, he was very polite and he was very, I think so he still didn't, will didn't be. want to say too much. I, yeah, I know, I but when, when you're playing us, you know, twice a season or even more if he's in the club and things happen, you know, there might be a little spat between him and uh, Arteta on, on the sidelines. You know, will he get fired up? I don't know. It's, it's going to be good to see. I can't wait for it. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Like, And again, sort of going back to the, the Arsenal time, I think he had ideas. The club had other ideas and he, he probably wasn't strong enough. I don't know if that's the right term to push back on them. I mean, Sko highlights that brilliantly in the chat where he says, maybe it was boring football at Arsenal because he didn't have the players. Seriously, though, Sograd is playing out from the back. You're absolutely right. The guy was not fit to do that. That wasn't his game. And yet we insisted on playing that way uh, with him in the team, which only tells you one thing, which we kind of already know, is that the recruitment was being driven by somebody else. And Unai Emery was being asked to just make the best of it. He was a coach at Arsenal, not a manager. And didn't have the control or the backing or the support that Mikel Arteta does yeah, now. Yeah, absolutely. And 
and and that's that's the fairest way of I think of summarizing Unai Emery's time. Um, but yeah, look, it will be interesting to see. Let's get some of your questions um, in the live chat. Pop a little cue at the beginning of them. We'll do sort of the last 10 minutes um, based around you guys' questions. So fire away. Get as many in there as possible. And we'll get through as many as we can between now and the end of the show. But while you're doing that, I just want to say a big thank you to everybody who's been listening to the podcast. uh, Because we have gone up to number 32 in the uh, soccer podcast chart, the Apple podcast chart that is in the UK. And when you think about how many amazing podcasts are out there, so many football ones, so many big companies as well, uh, sort of with regular podcasts that will obviously, um, you know, fill up the top spots just to be in the top 32 is amazing. Um, I know to some people it might sound like nothing, but to me, it's a really big deal. So thank you to everyone for tuning in. And, and to all the great contributors like Mike, uh, who join me regularly uh, to talk all things Arsenal. Also, uh, if you want more content, if you want to head over uh, to the Chronicles of Aguna on another slice, you can do so. Uh, all you need to do is click on the link in the description and it will take you over to the Another Slice website where you can sign up. Um, and you can subscribe to the Chronicles of Aguna uh, from your subscription. Uh, we'll be providing you extra content, but we'll also uh, be making a monthly donation to the Great Ormond Street Children's Hospital. And you can see that there's some exclusive uh, content on there, content that's only available on another slice. Uh, that was an analysis of the Arsenal defence with Jamal Fifield of Boreham Wood. Uh, that bit of content was only uh, on another slice. So there are exclusive bits dropping over there as well. And of course, there's a bank of premium content that you can access. Uh, so yeah, if you're interested, click the link in the description and sign up. Um, all right, should we take some questions, Mike? Let's do it. Uh, oh, look, look, look at this one. I like this. Uh, 32 on Apple Podcasts, but first in our hearts. Awesome job. Thank you so much, man. Uh, really appreciate it. Um. Michael says that we've matured. That's good. That's good to know. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Thank you so much. Uh, Clock and Seb says, do you think we have the depth to rest our entire Premier League starting 11 against PSV? Granted, some of the big hitters will need to make up the bench. How would you approach this game, Mike? Would you make wholesale changes? Would you do what Mikel's done so far and sort of mix and match it a bit? I think I've already, I've already said... Um that I think we should make wholesale changes because I think, you know, obviously what you want to avoid is is falling to second place because then you, you have the possibility of the extra round of games, which is two more games that, that we really can't afford. But I still think, you know, having watched the game against PSV and how, how watched the highlights, sorry, and watched how dominant and looked at the stats and soon how dominant we are, I think we've got a pretty decent chance of, of beating them. So I'm not saying rest the entire 11 because i think you'll still you don't want to underestimate them because they, they are still a good team and they're by far the the best team that we played so far this season but i still think that there's enough in in the second string so maybe you pop one or two players in that um that are in really good nick that are not showing any signs of fatigue um so maybe maybe martinelli because he got taken off early um start him and then and then play in instead of jesus um, and maybe play Reese Nelson instead of Saka and take out those players that are really important. And that if they do, you know, happen to, to blow up with an injury, 
it's not going to cost you the the season or the season up until the World Cup. And I think that's how you have to approach it. So for me, I wouldn't change eleven, but I think I'd change like a good like seven or eight, and maybe keep a few players in there um, that that you want to play. But um, yeah, PSV don't worry me massively to the point where like I, I think we could, we could make changes and be embarrassed really. Yeah, I don't fear being embarrassed. It's just that if we lost the game, it would take the group winner thing to the final round. And actually, if we just go out there and get a point, then that's done and dusted. And we then avoid the next round of the Europa League. We get a bye through to the last 16 or whatever it is. And I think I value not having to play an extra tie against a Champions League dropout a lot. And so if we can achieve that, and it means that we've got to mix and match it once again, then maybe let's do it. I think we can go a little bit lighter than we did in the first game, though, given that we only need a point and we're not looking um, for, uh, you know, for all three. But yeah, we'll see. I mean, I think I looked at it last week, Mike. I looked at the the first PSV game and obviously we knew that a win would be big, right? It would be the, the result that would ultimately open that gap between ourselves and PSV. It would be so significant that we'd only need a point uh, against them in the return fixture. But then I was sort of doing the preview podcast here and I was going through my lineup and I got to the front line and then I looked at it and I, I think I initially picked Enketia, Nelson and Marquinhos. And I was like, that's not good enough. Mm. So th- it, it highlighted to me that there is a bit of a lack of strength in depth. And as a consequence of that, we probably can't afford to make as many changes as maybe we'd like. Is that fair? I think you need, in terms of front three, I think you need one, one starter of the three. I think okay. Nelson, Marquinhos, and Katia is quite weak. Um, so I think you need like either the the explosiveness of of Saka, I think, or or Martinelli, or you need like the the sort of all round game of of Jesus just to sort of make it tick. Because I think when you make when you make too many changes in key areas like that, then you do really see that the, the gap in uh, in quality between the, the starters and the second string but I, I think I just think and someone's made a really good point in the uh Seb's made a really good point you know we need to act before the damage is done the likes of Parsi and Jesus look dead on their feet and I think that's true I think you really can't risk losing them because they're so key like imagine you play Jesus when he already looks knackered and then you know he, he may not get injured but when you're fatigued and you're on on the edge you you are at such high risk of injury so I just think, like, why take the chance with, with a key player like that? And that's why I think Martinelli, he's a bit younger. He's a bit more fresher because he, he had 20 minutes on, on the bench. So I think if it was me, I'd probably play one of the, of the three. I'd definitely play Lukonga and, and I'd play Vieira. Um, I'd play Xhaka because Xhaka looks like he can play 120 minutes every game and be fine. He's just that kind of player. And then in, in the backwards, I'd switch it up again, give Tierney a game probably. Um, but yeah, I, I would make changes, um, and, but I'd, I'd take them. I wouldn't leave them at home. So if we're sort of yeah. drawing or, you know, in the worst case scenario, losing, you can bring Jesus or Odegaard off the bench and, and still be all right. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I think that they've got to be in the squad regardless. We just don't have the numbers anyway to leave them all yeah. behind. Um, looking ahead a little bit to January, um, Marcus says, what positions should Edu look to strengthen in? in the January window. And I'll add on top of that question, do you think that there will be significant movement from Arsenal in the upcoming transfer window? It's, it's hard to predict, isn't it? I think if it's one that they've been planning for a, a while and they've, you know, highlighted the 
the January window as a possibility to get this player in. Uh, I think there could be like an interesting one we were getting linked with in the last few days of the summer window was Danilo um, from Palmeiras, I think. Mm. He's a defensive mid. And he's the one that sort of came out before the, the Douglas Louise links came. And yeah, that's right. I can't remember. It was probably it was. the day before. It was probably like a couple yeah, of days was. before the end of the window. Wasn't it, it? it was that really became... late. Yeah. Um, and I remember one of the Daily Mail journalists saying, you know, it might not be a player they go for in the final few days of the window, but it could be someone they, they look at in January. And I think if the sort of work has been going on behind the scenes for, for a player like that, I could definitely see that as a, as a deal that, that could be done. So I'm, I'd definitely keep an eye out on him. And then if you're asking me, um, I think we need a winger. I, I really do. I think we need now Smith Rowe has, has got this groin injury and he's out and might need more time to, to recover. Um, we really need someone to to challenge um, Martinelli and Saka because I just think Nelson, Marquinhos, as we've said, there's a big drop off between between uh, the the first eleven and the and the, and the backup. So, yeah, that's that's the two positions: defensive mid and winger. I'd look at striker would be nice, but we're not going to get it, so there's no point thinking about that one. Yeah, and I think the striker position, obviously, they tied down in Ketia. You're looking at you're looking at following Balogun who can't stop scoring goals in France yeah. at the moment. And I think the club will feel that they could probably hold off on that. Um, but I agree with you. I think winger is is a must, and I think defensive midfield is a must. And the, the, the frustrating thing is that we keep talking about rotation, right? And we keep talking about our inability to do it to the level that maybe we want because of players being out and absent and all of that stuff. But if Emil Smith Rowe was available. You'd be able to rotate on the left wing. You'd be able to rotate on the right wing, potentially. You'd be able to rotate in the 10 position with him because he is capable of playing all those roles. Zinchenko is another one that hasn't become a part of our rotational picture because he's been out for a long, long time now. And we still don't know exactly when he's going to be back. Mohamed Elneny is someone that we're missing as well. Um, and again, you know, I, I don't, Listen, I, I like Lokonga. Actually, I want to get your thoughts on Lokonga because I do like him and I think he's got ability and I think he's got potential. But I think we can see that he's not quite there yet. And there are games, particularly away from home, that even though I would want to see Lokonga given the opportunity to develop, I would probably trust Mohamed Elneny more. Mm-hmm. And we, we don't have that option right now. What have you made of Lokonga? Because we haven't spoken since he those quotes came out in which he was very sort of forthright about the fact that he's not playing enough, both at club and international level. The the pissed off part, which was highlighted, was built around um, what he'd said about Roberto Martinez. But there was a bit about his club uh, issues there as well. So what have you made of him of late, his performances? And is he ready to step up yet? Harry, I just really don't think he's a number six. I really don't. I think that's not his best position when I look at him, I think he's he's a really silky player. He's obviously intelligent and he's and he's good. He's got good vision. Um, and when you talk about all their attributes, you talk about number eight and the fact that he was playing there in preseason. Um, I think that indicates where they wanted him. But obviously, needs must. We didn't end up signing a, a backup for for Thomas Partey. So, you know, Elneny's out injured. So we've not got that defensive mid so I think Lokonga's had to be shaped back into that number six which is a bit of a step backwards but for me I look at the Man United game and you know it's a tough game of course it is against a a team that are built for for the counter-attack but 
the fact that we analysed it as well. And one of the goals, he just gets caught pressing up the pitch. And it's like, what are you doing? Like, you don't know this position well enough. And that's not particularly his fault because he's sort of been thrown into this, isn't he? I think I'm I'm not sure what the intention was when, when we signed him. Maybe he's a bit of a six, bit of an eight, you know, see how he gets on. Um, but for me, his attributes just don't suit that position. So I think... And that's going to hinder his development, isn't it? Really, like if we want to, if if the club see him as as a number eight now, which which you know it looked like they did in the summer, him having to then revert back to another position um, and try and learn that is is another you know it's it's a sidestep really. He's not getting him where he needs to be. And I think really, in in an ideal world, if, if we had a, a good backup for Thomas Party, Lukonga would be able to rotate with with Xhaka a bit more instead of having to rotate for Party at number six. So. I do like him. I think he's got loads of potential, but it might be one of them ones where it doesn't quite work out for for a while or it doesn't work out until we sign in another defensive midfielder. So yeah, but there's there's definitely positives there. Like and I don't think it's a it's a terrible thing for for, for him to develop slowly. Would you send him out on loan? If we, if we had the bodies to cover it, obviously we don't right now. But if we did, let's say Mohamed Onani wasn't injured in the way that he is, would mm. you have considered looking at things in January and saying, you know what, you probably need the football and we're going to make sure we find you somewhere where the role you're going to play is going to be closer to what we think you're going to end up doing in the future. Because yeah. I think that's a big thing as well, right? Like one of the things I'm really wary of when we judge the Lokongas and the Vieiras at the moment and the players that are on the fringes um, and on the peripheries is... They're, they're not playing in your strongest team. So you don't really get a true reflection of them. Like if you put Lekonga in a midfield with Xhaka and Partey, you're going to get something different to what you get from Lekonga when he's playing like he did in the FA Cup last season, for example, with Charlie Patino. And, you know, it just didn't work. Yeah. So have we got to be mindful of that as well? We, have we got to think about when he does get game time, it tends to be with the second string which obviously makes it more difficult for him to get to the level that we need him to be if he's going to be first choice. Yeah, and let's just say like this this Thomas Partey role, it's a tough role. Like it is you you need to be a top level player to to play in that position because essentially you're the you're the sole defensive midfielder in the team. Like the way that Xhaka plays and and he's bursting into the box. It's a it's a really hard role, and you need some needs to be someone that's experienced. You need to be someone who's so positionally aware. You need to be athletic. Um, you know, there's so many requirements needed for that. I just think for him at the moment, it's almost the impossible job. And it, absolutely, it's, it's a tactical role that he needs to learn. Um, but I just don't think it's quite working out at the moment. And the difficult thing with a loan is you need to make sure that the loan is perfect for him, in the sense that he'll be playing in a similar sort of system maybe not system, but similar sort of, you know, style of play, really. Um, you know, it is a, a possession-based team. It is a team that counter-presses um, and, and in, employs a high press as well, an energetic team. You don't want him to go somewhere where it's completely different. Um, but then I look at Saliba and I think, you know, how, you know, amazing was he out on loan? Was that just because of the individual or was that because the environment was was perfect for him? So I think there's it's the things that needs to be considered. But I think if the right option became available for him, considering that he does seem unhappy with the lack of playing time, it, it needs to be an option to explore if we had the, the, the backup. Yeah. 
Interesting stuff. Interesting stuff. Uh, we're going to take this final question. It's not football related, but I, I want to have a bit of a rant about this as well. Uh, Seb says, not football related, but can either of you explain what sort of mutant lets off fireworks two weeks before bonfire night? I'm literally listening to fireworks go off outside my house right now. Yeah. What is going on? It's the 24th of October. Driving up the wall. I'm not a fan of fireworks. Like, why would you want to go to a field and watch Stand lights in the, in the sky? In the rain. Stand in the mud, get your shoes all dirty, be freezing, have to wear gloves. I, I've, I've never got the appeal of it, Harry. Honestly, I, I really don't get it. It's one of them holidays or whatever it is. It just goes straight over my head. Yeah, I, I used to I used to go to fireworks when I was like 16, 17, because I thought it would be a good place to pick up chicks. And it, it, it turned out it wasn't. <laughs> Um, it turned out it wasn't. Um, big shout out, by the way, uh, to the brilliant Shabana Hearn, who is in uh, the chat box. Uh, Sup, Shaban, Shaban. Well, um, I actually recorded a chat with Shaban earlier today about Arsenal women, the WSL. We were talking uh, Vivian Miedemar. We were talking Beth Mead. And that is a bonus bit of content that is dropping tomorrow at 12.30 p.m. Um, Shaban's channel is brilliant on all things women's football. There's some great vlogs on there as well. Highly entertaining stuff. And also, she knows what she's talking about. She's a women's football expert, um, a great colleague, a great friend as well. Please click on her name in the comments. Go over to her channel and make sure you are subscribed. What are you doing if you're not? You're slacking. It's a great Get little confidence boost for her, isn't it? <laughs> she, she literally came in to say hello. But yeah, hi, I, hi I, Shalane. Like, Hope you are. Yeah, but... She deserves it, right? Her she does deserve it. Honestly, I, I only worked with her for a, a few weeks and she and is then you left incredible. Us, yeah, we know. <laughs> Still better. <laughs> what you are going to bring up. <laughs> <laughs> Shaban says Tomiyasu for PM. He'd probably do a better job than some of the clowns we got running the country at the moment, I guess. But there you go. Uh, it is what it is. Right. Um, we're going to leave it there. Uh, we've been going for an hour exactly, pretty much on the dot. Uh, we'll see you all very, very soon. Until then, uh, take care of yourselves. Stay safe. Make sure you've left a like on the video. Make sure you're subscribed. If you're new, if you're listening on audio, please do leave us a review. Thank you for all your support once again. And we'll be back very soon with more Arsenal-related content. In fact, the next bit will be the bit of content with the brilliant Shabana Hearn. So make sure you subscribe to her channel. Make sure you subscribe to this channel if you're new. And we'll see you all soon. Uh, Mike, thank you. All the best. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.